Welcome to First Line. My name is Aubrey Ann Jackson, and I am a PGY1 psychiatry resident physician. In this podcast, we discuss whole person health and wellness through an osteopathic lens, holistically addressing the body, mind, and spirit. We also discuss topics important to medical trainees, including pre-med students, medical students, and residents. Thanks for joining me. Hello, this episode is part of a series on different specialties in medicine. So all of the specialties that you can pursue as an MD or a DO. And this episode in particular is going to cover mixed specialties, so specialties that involve a mix of medicine and surgery. Medicine referring more to medical diagnosis and management outside of the OR, which still may involve a lot of procedures. Surgery having to do more with what happens in the operating room and less on the medicine side of things. So there's a few that are really great balances of both, which is great for students who find that they do really love surgery and they can't they can't consider a career that doesn't involve surgery but they still are really interested in the medical side of things as well. And in this episode I'll also talk about indirect patient care specialties which have varying levels of interactions with patients directly but are often more of a supportive role for other specialties, but play a super important role in healthcare as a whole. So I'm going to talk about all of these. So for mixed specialties, that includes dermatology, ENT, or otolaryngology, ophthalmology, urology, OBGYN, and then anesthesia as a, a special one that obviously has a unique role in the operating room. And I would also lump interventional radiology into this group as well, whereas those indirect care specialties I would consider to be pathology and diagnostic radiology. Again, I recommend listening to the previous episodes that are part of this series. I have one episode that talks about what to think about when choosing a specialty before going into all of these in depth. And then I have an episode on those, those specialties that are mainly medical and the specialties that are mainly surgical. And I mentioned on those episodes that I'm not going to mention too much about average salary because that can vary more within a specialty than between different specialties and it's something that's just constantly changing so it's going to be outdated as soon as the episode is released. And another thing that I'm not going to mention is the average board scores because you should really be picking a specialty based off of your interests and then also Board scores change drastically over time as well, and a lot of times you'll want to choose your specialty before you even have a board score to to assess your competitiveness. And lastly, I'm not going to mention average number of hours per week because that varies drastically with practice location and practice type, 
not as much with the specialty itself, though I will say overall surgical specialties, including mixed specialties, tend to have longer hours. Dermatology is probably an exception to that, and there are some medical specialties that can have crazy hours just as much as any medical specialty. So let's get started first with with dermatology. So dermatology, of course, is a doctor who specializes in diseases of the skin, as well as the hair, nails, and mucous membranes. And the training for this takes four years to complete. It is one of the most competitive specialties to go into. And again, it being a mixed specialty, it involves a really great mix of doing surgical procedures and doing office procedures, as well as the medicine side of things, prescribing medication, doing biopsies, and they can cover a range of conditions, anything that affects the skin. I talk about the mind-body connection with psychiatry, and dermatology is more of the outside affecting the inside and vice versa, that a lot of internal conditions can show up as a skin manifestation and vice versa. So it's a pretty interesting field. The next one is OBGYN. So this is obstetrics and gynecology. So that means it involves obstetrics being anything to do with pregnancy, childbirth, postpartum. And then gynecology refers more to just the female reproductive system. And that includes the vagina, the vulva, the uterus, and the breasts. So female-specific organs. So OBGYNs, therefore, take care of women's health across their lifespan and treat all of the conditions that can affect uh, childbearing and also any part of the reproductive system, including the breasts. So this training is four years to complete. Many OBGYNs will go on to subspecialize in things like pelvic medicine, gynecologic oncology, maternal fetal medicine, and reproductive endocrinology. So that pelvic medicine can focus a little bit more on things like pelvic floor repair, which is more of the gyne side of OBGYN, and it's more of the surgical side of OBGYN. Gynecologic oncology is both heavy on the medicine and the surgery, so they may perform more things like um, hysterectomies and oophorectomies, so removing uh, different uh, reproductive organs as part of cancer management, but they can also really emphasize the medicine side of things as well. Then maternal fetal medicine is more of the obstetrics side of OBGYN, where they focus a little bit more on complicated pregnancies with the mother's health and the baby's health in mind. Then reproductive endocrinology is a super interesting field that is definitely more on the medicine side of things, looking at hormone levels and especially looking at things like fertility and helping women such as women with 
um, polycystic ovarian syndrome, and other causes of infertility or impaired fertility, and women with thyroid disorders. So they really do focus on the OBGYN side of things and then also are well-versed in endocrinology and hormone levels, so very medicine-heavy. And with OBGYN, it's really interesting that a lot of times when you are working in an office, you very much look like a family medicine practitioner with performing prenatal appointments and prescribing birth control and doing some procedures like IUD insertion and removal. These are all things that family medicine providers can do as well. So OBGYN and family medicine look very similar in that respect, but then OBGYNs then go into the operating room. They can do cesarean sections, they can do hysterectomies, they can do they can do uh, endometrial surgeries. They can do endometriosis, they can do endometrial biopsies. So they very much look like surgeons in that respect as well. So this is a great example of a specialty that has the, you could consider the best of both worlds if surgery is your thing and if you like medicine as well, that you can do a lot of both. I'm often asked about what question banks to use to study for medical school board exams, and I always recommend TrueLearn. TrueLearn helped me score competitively on Comlex Level 1 and Level 2, Shelf Exams, and the USMLE Step 1 and Step 2. And I'm currently using their question bank to study for Level 3. I love TrueLearn's practice questions because they include detailed answer explanations and comprehensive analysis of how you're doing compared to your past progress and compared to your peers. I am so happy that FirstLine has partnered with TrueLearn. For a discount on your subscription, use the link in the episode description and use code FIRSTLINE at checkout. F-I-R-S-T-L-I-N-E. One word, no spaces, no capitalization. Then... Next one is ENT, so this is an otolaryngologist. So this basically means they are a surgeon for everything in the head and neck. So they work with their bread and butter is going to be anything that affects the ears, nose, throat, sinuses, face, and jaw. And uh, those diseases also includes cancers that affect these structures as well. And they also do a little bit of plastics and reconstructive surgery as well. And this, this training is five years long and it's in this mixed category because they still do a lot of medicine as well. Another one of the mixed specialties is ophthalmology. So this is focused on the eyes. So they do a lot of medical management and also surgical management. And these are, so these doctors are very different from optometrists, which do not perform surgery and have limited uh, medical management. Ophthalmologists are, are doctors, so they don't just go to optometry school. They go to medical school and they finish residency. So they deal more with diseases instead of just vision care, which optometrists are primarily trained in. But ophthalmologists can still prescribe 
glasses, contact lenses, but they also focus on diagnosing, treating eye conditions, including surgeries. Their training is is a preliminary year plus a three additional years. And they can subspecialize in things like neuroanthemology, plastic and reconstructive surgery, pathology, and some ophthalmologists will specifically specialize in certain types of procedures like for glaucoma or macular degeneration. And next is urology. So urology, they're also known as genitourinary surgeons. So they focus on the urinary tract of both males and females, along with the reproductive system of males. So this is not the male equivalent of OBGYN. Uh, So they are a surgeon for these disorders that affect these body systems. And they can also manage non-surgical problems like UTIs and prostate issues. And because of this, they can overlap a little bit with OBGYN because they can work with women who have things like stress incontinence and pelvic floor issues that affect the urinary system and the reproductive system. So the training for urologists is five years long. And like ophthalmology, uh, they do not use the NRMP match. So you may have heard that when you're in your last year of medical school, how you get into a residency program is typically through something called the match. So urology and ophthalmology are separate in that there's just a, a separate application process that I personally don't know much about because I did not match into urology or ophthalmology and I was never particularly interested in either specialty and I didn't really have any friends that were either so I don't know too much about it but they do have their own their own system that is really just a match just within a single specialty and then for urology you can also subspecialize you can subspecialize with uh, pediatric urology um you can also specialize in female pelvic medicine kind of like you can as an OBGYN. And then I'm going to put interventional radiology in this category just because it is so different from diagnostic radiology. I would consider interventional radiology more of a mixed type specialty. So interventional radiology, you still have a very significant knowledge about imaging, but they also use image-guided procedures, usually minimally invasive, and they can use this to diagnose and treat conditions. And so, some of the therapies that they can be involved with um, from this procedural point of view is things like angioplasty, stent placement, thrombus management, um, embolization, and a lot of other things as well. So it's a very cool specialty in that you're you're using what diagnostic radiologists use, which is that imaging side, but you're also performing procedures and you have direct patient care. So for, for them, there are programs that you can match right into interventional radiology. You can also finish diagnostic radiology and then do additional training to 
do interventional radiology. Then lastly, for this mixed group or this group of specialties that don't really belong in any sort of category is anesthesia. So this is something you you probably have some exposure to if you've ever done a surgical rotation or you've ever shadowed a surgeon. They are responsible for providing anesthesia to patients in the operating room as well as with maybe with procedures outside of the operating room as well. And they are tasked with the important job of monitoring a patient and supporting their organ function while they were they are under anesthesia. And they can provide medical management for patients that have chronic pain and critical illnesses. They also do things like epidurals for women that are giving birth in a hospital which is a procedure that is done outside of the OR. So that's just an example. The training for anesthesiologists is four years long, and they can also subspecialize in things like critical care, cardiac, obstetrics, pain medicine, and pediatrics. I'm now providing several editing services specifically for medical students and pre-med students. I can help with editing your CV, personal statements, and applications, whether you're applying to medical school or to residency. I will catch your grammar and style mistakes and also provide feedback on content revision so you can craft documents that make you more competitive. There are so many expensive services out there that charge hundreds to thousands of dollars on reviews, which is why I am offering a much more affordable service with different price packages based on your needs. Use the link in my bio to learn more about the services I offer for individualized help. Okay, lastly, there are two specialties I would consider indirect patient care for the most part. They'll have varying degrees of interactions directly with patients. So, one I've mentioned already is diagnostic radiology. So, this is the part of radiology that is not involved in real time as far as image-guided procedures, but they are the experts in using a variety of tools like MRIs, CTs, ultrasound, among many others. The training for diagnostic radiology is five years long. They're typically going to be based in a hospital and provide that support to other physicians that order imaging for their patients, and then they will review the imaging and give their recommendations. They can subspecialize, like I said, in interventional radiology, as well as things like neuroimaging, cardiothoracic imaging, mammography, abdominal imaging, and musculoskeletal imaging. It's definitely a specialty that's become more popular in recent years. And finally, pathology. Last but not least, I actually really enjoyed my pathology rotation. It's a very interesting field. These are also physicians that have more of that indirect patient care. They are also involved in a lot of the diagnosis and prognosis, kind of like diagnostic radiology, but instead of imaging, they're looking at specimens, microscopic slides, different body fluids, uh, cell cell analysis. So they're very much working in in a more of a laboratory setting. A lot of times are are integrated into the same building as the hospital. 
They can be involved in, in autopsies as well. And their training is four years long. And they can also go on to subspecialize in things like transfusion medicine. So looking more at those blood specimens. They can subspecialize in dermatopathology, which was what the pathologist I worked for subspecialized in. So he was looking at a lot of slides from skin biopsies to determine if it was cancer or not and to give prognosis and recommendations, um, working a lot with family medicine providers as well as dermatologists. And they can also subspecialize in forensic pathology as well, so more of that autopsy side of things. And I'll also just take a moment to mention that there are also residency programs that allow you to become double board certified in two or more different specialties. These programs are becoming more popular. There are quite a few that are opening up. I think the most common one I see is internal medicine with pediatrics. And that really just means that you are specialized in general medicine for both adults and children. So it's similar to family medicine, but it does not have that obstetrics piece. So they typically won't work with with pregnant patients. And this is really excellent for people that especially that want to treat both types of populations and they specifically want to work in a hospital setting. There's also other ones like internal medicine with emergency medicine, internal medicine with psychiatry, family medicine with emergency medicine, which is popular for people who want to do more urgent care. And then also I see family medicine with psychiatry as well. But it's worth noting that obviously when you're doing double board certification, it's going to prolong your length of training because you have to fulfill requirements for both of those specialties. It's not going to be as long as if you did, if you completed one and then started back at the beginning for the other specialty. So it does save time if you want that double board certification, but it does prolong the training versus if you were only going to pursue one. So it is not a good idea if you're between two specialties to just decide that you'll do the double board certification so that you don't have to choose between the two. The a double board certification should only be pursued if you see yourself using both specialties in your future practice and if your dream job would require you to have both of those residencies completed. And I think that for the most part, it's not going to be a necessity for most people. I've heard time and time again that most graduates from these double board certification programs really just go on to work as a doctor in one of the specialties. And it's usually the specialty that pays more. So someone that is pursuing family medicine with psychiatry, they are typically just going to work as a psychiatrist because they tend to earn more than family medicine practitioners. The reason this is true is because there are very few job descriptions and job roles that 
encompass both of the specialties and require double board certification. It may only be helpful if you are really pursuing an academic career that you are looking at a very niche topic that overlaps with the two specialties that actually having the background in both can help you out. But typically in in practice when, especially if you are employed by a hospital, they're going to look for you to fill a specific role within a specific specialty. But this is a little bit different than subspecialization, which with subspecialization, if you want to work in that area, employers typically do want to see that you have that subspecialization to show that you can work in that niche. But those niches just don't really exist, at least yet, with those double board certifications. And also, I, I mentioned that um, family medicine with emergency medicine is popular for people who want to do more urgent care, but family medicine docs are regularly employed into urgent care without having to do extra training in emergency medicine. So a lot of these dual programs are not necessary and may just prolong your length of training without adding too much benefit. So it's something to really, really think about that just because you get a second board certification doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to increase your salary in the long run. Um, it might just prolong your length of training. So it's a very personalized choice that you should definitely look into more. They have varying degrees of competitiveness. So this takes us to the end of this particular group of episodes that talk about specialties. So I'm hoping that um, this especially helps uh, medical students who are thinking ahead about what specialty they want to apply to and what to what to consider when making that choice. View the show notes for additional information about this episode and access the link to FirstLine's website. Don't forget to follow or subscribe to FirstLine on your favorite podcast app to hear a new episode every Monday. Thanks for listening.